Welcome to Restaurant Relevance, the podcast, where the goal is to glean operational tactics for restaurant operators from data-driven research. Definitely nerding out along the way. I'm Nathan Jarvis, the host. Welcome to those of you who are tuning in. Before we dive into the show, here are the highlights and key takeaways. So to recap, what you found were was that consumers can kind of be grouped into these four categories um, based on whether they are brand loyal in a high way or a low way, uh, and then whether they're loyal to the category of craft, local, artisanal, either in a significant or high way or low way. Um, so that's, that's number one. Number two, that if, regardless as if you are building a brand to have it acquired, or if you in the long-term want to acquire another brand, the focus and uh, really the study ought to be on the consumers that are high brand loyal, particularly just brand loyal, because those are the ones that are really there for the brand. And so if you can maintain that brand through the acquisition, uh, you have the greatest likelihood of, of maintaining kind of this, this core group of consumers. I guess three uh, would be that being acquired by another local or craft or artisanal company usually means you have a greater chance of uh, maintaining some of your, your core consumers. Again, assuming that you maintain the levels of quality, uh, you know, et, et cetera. And I guess four, I would throw in there uh, a lot. You need to focus on con communicating to your consumer group um, as you're considering and going through the merger process. And then obviously you need to to follow through uh, with actually maintaining those um, those quality standards and who the brand is uh, long term. In this episode, we're featuring research published in the International Journal of Contemporary Hospitality Management entitled Consumer Perspectives on Acquisition of Local Artisanal Companies. I'm really excited to feature this research today because I have seen a lot of small, local, artisanal, craft, whatever you want to call them, companies that get acquired or want to be acquired, and it's interesting to see how their consumers respond. I have my suspicions about what this research will find, but it'll be interesting to see what the data proves out. This is really applicable. Uh, if you own a restaurant or a small food brand, or other company which could be considered craft, local, or, or artisanal. Particularly if you have any interest in being acquired or wanting to merge in the future at any point. Knowing how your customers might respond and the best way to communicate with them and to engage with them will help you in the long run and make your brand more worthwhile uh, to be acquired in the future. So let's jump right in. We're fortunate to have both authors of the study with us on this show today. Dr. Tiffany Legendre is an assistant professor at the University of Houston's Conrad N. Hilton College of Hotel and Restaurant Management and has won numerous awards for her work. She has a BBA in Hospitality Management from Macquarie University in Australia, an MS in Hospitality and Tourism Management from Sejong University in South Korea, and a PhD in management from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She focuses on branding, food and beverage innovation, sustainability, and consumer value judgment. She's particularly known for her work with ugly produce and with edible insects. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me today. I'm very excited about this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Dr. John Bowen is a professor emeritus at the University of Houston, where he served as the dean of the Conrad N. Hilton College for many years and was the Baron Hilton Distinguished Chair. He has over 50 years of experience in the hospitality industry as a scholar, professor, practitioner, and consultant. He is currently an industry advisor for, for KYC Hospitality, a technology company delivering innovative solutions to the hotel industry. He has serves, served as the chair of the advisory board of the Hospitality and Tourism Research Center at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. His academic publications in consumer loyalty and behavior have received numerous awards and are among the most widely cited articles in their area. His education includes a BS in hotel administration from Cornell and a PhD in marketing from Texas A&M University. Welcome to the show. Thank you, it's a privilege to be here today. Thank y'all for spending the time. 
I want to start with a broad overview to get an idea of what you studied and what you found, and then we'll take a deeper dive into some of the details. So in two sentences, would you explain what your study was about and what you found? So this study was really about looking at, you know, what's going to happen to, you know, especially the local, you know, craft beer companies after merger and acquisition, and especially looking at the angle from consumers. Um, basically, we found that there are, so not everyone understands that merger and acquisition happened. So, but then the people that who learned about it and have faced the news about merger and acquisition, they actually go through different ways to cope with the, you know, the dilemma that they face, you know, a lot of specu speculation that's occurring in the marketplace, or what's going to happen afterwards, are there going to be any changes in terms of product quality, you know, as the brand is going to be delivering the promises they have made as a local artisanal company, or is that the corporate influence will be there for these companies being acquired? Um, so yeah, so we'll probably talk about it more in details as we go by. Yeah, and, and so I'm curious how you got into this research. Um, what was, what's the origin story here? Why did you decide to study craft uh, products, in this case, beer, and how their consumers respond to acquisitions? I'll actually leave that story up to Dr. Bowen. Because um, that's where we kind of study. I think a, a lot of it came with uh, when uh, Carbach here was uh, purchased by uh, a macro brewery. And, and so we started to see things in the paper about how could some consumers uh, were upset uh, and, and sort of the reaction of consumers and that led to uh, the study. And then I think another factor was just the growth in the popularity of artisan brands, um, in, including not only beer, uh, but cheese, chocolates, uh, you know, a wide variety of brands produced by local artisans that seemed to be becoming popular. And so part of it then was to look at what might happen when not only craft beer, uh, but when other artisan brands might be purchased by a uh, macro company. Okay. And both in your publication and as you're talking about right now, you use the terms craft and local and artisan often together or interchangeably. So in your study, did you differentiate between them or was the goal to kind of look at that whole category? How did you address that? I think craft is... Um, you know, it's products that are produced by an artisan uh, would be a good definition of that. So an entrepreneur, uh, it could be a cheesemaker that, you know, owns a farm and is making their own cheese. Uh, in the case of craft breweries, um, it, it's where they're independently owned uh, and, and a limited production. Uh, local, I think, is often used interchangeably by consumers. So somebody might go into a bar uh, and ask what the local beers are. So, you know, in Houston, even though we have uh, an Anheuser-Busch brewery, I don't think you're going to go into a bar and somebody's going to say our local beers are Budweiser, Bud Light, they're going to give you the ones from the craft brewery. So I think there's that, that interchangeability there, but local is really uh, the origin of the production. And, and typically smaller businesses and that there's a trend now to buy local. Um, so rather than buy from Walmart, you might go to the individually owned hardware store or the green grocer on the corner or, or something like that. So uh, the craft is artisan, local is just origin uh, of, of, of the uh, business. So just okay. to um, have an add-on, so in terms of a like methodological standpoint, because in this particular project, we, uh, because there really wasn't any study before what we have published about this paper and in terms of the investigation of these inquiries. Um, so we actually adopted qualitative research where um, we kind of see what the consumers have said about the phenomena. So that is probably the reason why that you see those terms interchangeably, because that's what that's the lingo coming from the consumer's words. Um, 
So that that's why we're looking at it all differently. But if I were to do probably like a quantitative research where I have to like control um, everything to increase the internal control and validity, then probably we'll have to separate those out because some characteristics are, you know, as Dr. Bowen said, some characteristics are based on the origin, some characteristics are based on how it is manufactured. So there are some slight differences, um, but then because the methodology that we have used where is more exploratory and uh, where we actually have to look at the language that was being used by the consumers and, and that that's the really the reason why you're seeing the mixture of, of those all together ah okay so since you directly ask consumers what their thoughts were and to describe these brands you are in one sense you're mimicking back the language that they use and and since they kind of put local and craft and artisanal and, and these terms together you're using them together in the same way mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You also use some other terminology that I would deem a little more academic, and I want to make sure that I understand them uh, and that our, our viewers can understand them. Uh, so in framing the problem here um, and what happens when a brand is acquired by a larger company or another company, uh, you use the terms identity stigmatization identity dissonance and coping. And so I want to make sure I understand this. Identity stigmatization uh, is the idea that when a brand or something else is acquired in this case, uh, there could be a negative reaction to that in the, the consumer's minds. Um, and so there's a stigma or some something negative attached to that brand because of that event. Is that is that where, what we're talking about here? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So when um, merger and acquisition basically happened with, um, you know, Starwood companies and Marriott, people who are loyal to Starwoods and people who are loyal to Marriott, they're loyal to them for a reason, right? And then they're not loyal to the other for a reason. So um, the people who identify with a particular brand, when that is being merged by the company that they don't want to be associated with, and that's when we said, you know, the identity is stigmatized because the negative attributes because of by the merger and acquisition marriage, now all of a sudden that you have to deal with that too, because now it is part of the ownership of the company that you didn't want to be part of. So that that's what we meant by the stigmatization. Okay. And then this could result in what you call an identity dissonance, where the idea I think is that the consumer has has been buying or, or aligning with this brand um, and they they somehow have tied up their identity with the brand because of what it is or the category it falls into. But when it gets acquired, that suddenly shifts the brand into a different category or status that doesn't line up with the consumer's view of themselves. And so mm -hmm. there's a discrepancy there. Yeah, so it's more like the psychological process that they sort of undergo. Um, so it's more of a, you know, stigmatization happens and I, I kind of start feeling the dissonance because what I, what I like is this, but now that you're giving me something else. So there has been the discrepancies between what's been merged with them together. Then okay. there goes coping afterwards, I guess. Um, then when people are experiencing dissonances, people don't really like the gap. So that's the reason why in, in the theories of psychology that people hang out with people who have more similarities with them than um, differences. So then when the dissonance is being experienced, the people kind of um, are engaged in coping strategies to minimize that dissonance. So in terms of what strategies that they're going to be using, that could be varied. And I think in our uh, paper, we actually uh, explain the multiple strategies that they are engaged in coping with that, depending on how much dissonance they are experiencing or whether there was actually dissonance being experienced um, in the first place. You know, some, some people, one of the categories that we have proposed in our study, they didn't, they didn't really feel the dissonance. So for those of them, they, there is no need for coping because they don't really shift it off to the next phase. Okay. And the idea then, or the implication then is 
the group of consumers that might identify with or be loyal to a local craft artisanal company is could be different than a, the group of consumers that would identify with or be loyal to a, a you know a more international or national macro brand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, and so if I'm a brand that is being acquired, I potentially could lose a group of consumers or they might react negatively to it, et cetera. Um, and so I might have to reacquire almost a new group of um, loyal fans uh, depending on the situation. It all really depends because um, in our paper, when you look at the excerpt um, gathered from our data, you probably have noticed that a lot of their comments are based on conditions. As long as brands remains the same, as long as the taste is the same, as long as, you know, they haven't changed their recipe, you know, as long as they do this, you know, as long as they don't fire their people and start injecting all this new blood into the local economy, as long as you don't take all my money into somewhere else, you know, like outside of my local community. So, so you, you see a lot of speculation going on. And I think um, based on our research and um I think that's the speculation that's coming in place to the consumer market when merger and acquisition happens because of the differences in company brands and then their identities. So not necessarily we're recommending them to acquire new set of customers. You can still maintain your new set of customers um, if you take our suggestions seriously. <laughs> So yeah, so we were basically providing some strategies um, to maintain their existing customers. So I mean, for some customers that that didn't like, say for example, you know, national brand, and then they were really a big fan of their local brewery, and they they could be really upset about um, you know the the merger and acquisition takes place, but they also understand that it's beneficial for the owners, right? Because they, it makes them rich. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, and to be very frankly speaking, you know, some of the, you know, startup businesses, sometimes it's their goal to be being acquired, right? Because they, they want to cash out. So um, in that case, it's good for them. So there has been a lot of like empathetic gesture as well, because they love the, they care about the business so much. Um, so you can definitely utilize, you know, um, some of those sentiments and to be more strategic about how they, you know, um, release the news, how they handle and manage their customer relationships. Um, so yeah, so th those were really our suggestions in this paper. So, so I think in, in short, it's, it's how much the identity changes to the consumer. So it's, as Tiffany said, if they go back in, it's the same personnel, the same brewmaster, uh, the same beers, and they've been known for coming out with uh, a unique beer each quarter for that quarter, and that continues, and they have certain local charities they support, if that continues. So there's not a whole lot of change the consumer can be. They're probably going to be able to retain more than if somebody goes in and all of a sudden there's big new construction for new tanks out back and the brewmaster is gone and, and, and there's more change. So, so a lot of it is how much of that identity, identity is consistent after the change occurs. Okay. All right. So uh, the start of your study, as we alluded to a, a little while ago, was you actually asked craft beer consumers to describe for you who a craft beer drinker is and who a macro beer drinker is. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's an interesting approach. I'm curious, why did you go that direction and uh, what what did it tell you about them or, or what they thought these drinkers were like? So we, we basically asked the question because um, we believe that there is a significant identity differences in between them. You know, people who define them as craft beer drinker, they have a certain stereotypical image about um, craft beer drinkers, um, people who are drinking, you know, more of a macro beer type of brands, they have certain um, perspectives about how 
what kind of consumer said um, or the market will be more attired to um, that segment of the brand. So, but obviously you could see that, you know, uh, there was a significant differences in terms of how they view the consumers of those products. Yeah, I think it really hits at the heart of the brand identity, um, which again, it was mainly craft beer drinkers that were involved in that sample. And so you could see themselves as less higher educated, um, white collar. And, and so again, it gets into that brand identity associated with craft beer, where, where their perception of people who drink macro beer are uh, working class, think overweight came in, drink a lot of beer. And, and, and so that is an identity that they didn't want to have. So from a marketing perspective and brand identity perspective, I think it was really interesting the, the results of that. Yeah, so as I was reading that, the, what comes to mind is it's interesting to ask people like what they think or what they think they like or, you know, to describe themselves. Um, but I've also seen instances where sometimes that doesn't always line up with what then actual marketing data, you know, comes out as who they actually are, right? So the difference between what people say about themselves and their actual behaviors, um, you know, does, did the description uh, that these beer drinkers came up with for who a craft beer drinker is, does that actually line up with what we think or we know about who craft drinkers are? I mean, did that line up well, or was there a discrepancy between what they said and, and behavior? That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, I guess the behavior we will not know from this study because, yeah. you know, basically we have to take whatever they say for granted because that, that was our data source. But mm -hmm. assuming that, um, assuming that, that these people were true to um, what they have said, but I think the chances are more likely because um, Dr. Boyan and I collected data through our personal networks. So these are the people that we, um, so we, we did like a snowballing. Um, so it started from our personal networks because we both drink craft beer and you know we have a lot of people who are crazy about craft beer. So we were sort of snowballing through their channels and they have their friends that were drinking craft beer. So we kind of snowballed into that. So chances are very likely that these people were um, talking about their intentions and behaviors mostly aligned just because, you know, they know the researchers in, in some way. Awesome. I think anecdotally, it tended to, to line up to some extent with the craft beer drinkers. I think because it was craft beer drinkers, I think their impressions of macro beer drinkers were probably distorted somewhat. Um, in that again, it was working class, drinking a lot, uh, some of them said overweight, whereas obviously there are a lot of people uh, that have white collar jobs, make a lot of money, are educated, that enjoy, you, 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 you know, the macro beers too. Right. And just, just to bear in mind that we didn't really interview people who are drinking macro beers. Right. This was the perspectives um, from the craft beer drinkers. So it's their view of what the macro beer drinkers are like. Which could Which be interesting in itself. That it reinforces sort of their uh, identity with craft beer to away from that. Right. And so what you found was that craft beer drinkers kind of identify with their beer in two different ways, either through the brand itself or through the category of craft slash local or both. Um, and, and so like to kind of put this into real terms, I'm trying to apply this. So this would be something like they identify with, let's say eighth wonder, uh, brewery, which is in Houston, right. As a brand, um, or they're committed to the craft beer category, or they're committed to both the craft beer category and eighth wonder brewery. Like, so it's, it's one, the other, or both, or I guess neither is another option. Is that, is that correct in, in my analysis there? Yes. Okay. Um, and so then that means you could actually kind of categorize 
consumers as to which of these four groups they fall into brand only category only brand in category or neither and to me that's where you found some really interesting results that depending on which category they fell into impacted how they responded to mergers and acquisitions can you talk about that yeah, sure. Um, that's like really the entire paper. So it will take a long time to answer. <laughs> Just FYI. Um, so the people that who don't identify with any of the brands or, you know, category per se, um, those are the people that who are probably very price sensitive. So whatever the deal pops up, then they're like, you know, say, for example, here in Houston, um, like HEB grocery store, the store that they say, hey, this is on promotion, that this is on discount. So like, would you like to try? So these are the group of people that were sort of more of a deal prone um, than brand or category loyal. So those kind of people probably don't really care what's going on uh, in the craft beer market. And that they that's the, really the group that are not affected by uh, merger and acquisition decision like at all. Um, I'll, I'll probably go one by one and I'll have Dr. Bowen chime in after that too. <laughs> Do you have anything for this group? No, I think that's, yeah, that, that's an extra, it's, it's a non-loyal price sensitive group. I think you, you're 100% correct. Mm -hmm. So then there is the opposite um, to that, who is brand loyal and the category loyal. So these are the people that who are definitely a fan of craft beer, but they have their favorite beer within this category. So you gave us the example of Eighth Wonder Beer. So these are the people that who would probably go to the brew pub, um, you know, for the experiences. They'll probably host their events at the, you know, they'll probably meet friends um, and they probably know the bartender or you know the people who work there so these are the people that we hang out in a tap room um, spend time there you know actually recommending to other people that you know like if you really like craft beer like hey try eighth wonder beer from houston it's really good so so they're the ones that who are almost the advocate of the brands because they, they really like the brand um and then then we have a mixture of people that who are very much loyal to the category, but they're more um, they're more adventurous, I'll say. Um, they're more variety seeking type of people within the category. So um, based on our conversation with the consumers, these are the people that who would think <laughs> um, the macro beer company sort of like in a demonized manner um, that they kind of don't want to go there. Hey, this is how I see myself. I don't want to associate myself with the other group or the other brands. I just want to explore within this, but Hey, there are so many great options. I don't want to be tied to one brand hmm. type of people. Yeah. Th these are the real kind of sewers of craft beer. So they're looking at, Ratings on craft beer. They, they, these would be the ones that would go to the grocery store and get the uh, the six pack container and get six different bottles in there. They're not going to grab a case of, of any one kind. And, and so, as a result, if it's acquired by a macro brewery, these people are gone. Yeah, definitely. That whole uh, mix and match of six pack beer for craft beers, like. You know, like Total Wine does that all the time. Um, right. That's really geared towards like, these type of consumers. And there goes the people who are who don't really care about the category, um, but they are really loyal to their brand. So these are the people that who just know what they like. You know, this is the beer brand. I like that. I don't care whether they're macro or micro. I just like that beer. I don't care about where they belong. So, so that's type of the customers that who we observed. And so in this brand only category, um, those are the ones that uh, to uh, Dr. Bowen's point earlier on, like provided that the brand doesn't change much, it's still the same quality. It's still the same like uh, branding and standards, et cetera. They, it, they don't really care whether it's been acquired or not. They, they're they there to drink the beer. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So if I were a brand and I have aspirations of being acquired, one group of consumers I would really want to try to cultivate and nurture and grow would be this group that's completely loyal to my brand above all else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. So what about this, uh, the, the group that um, is, is both category and brand loyal? Like it, it's almost like they've got mixed feelings there. They love a brand, but they also are loyal to um, the category. How do, you, how do you reach out to them? And if, if you're going to be acquired or want to be acquired in the future, how do you make that work with that group of consumers? Dr. Bryan, do you want to take this question? Yeah, I think there are, there are a couple things going on here. I think if, if um, with that group of consumers, I, I think you just do the normal things to build up the brand. Well, like you, okay. you know, try, try to keep turn, turnover low so they go in, they meet the people, the people know their names, the, the room master, they get tours or they add tours. Uh, and so everything again, seems to be the same. The brand quality seems to be the same. If you do certain things, the brand is known for, <clears throat> like bring out periodic beers, that those tend to be the same. I, I think, you know, so, sort of what you're getting at too is what do I want to look for when I get acquired? And I think that comes down, and this could be another study too, is, is what the owner wants, as, as Tiffany said, a lot of entrepreneurs build businesses to cash out uh, and become rich and move on. So, um, do you, you know, it comes down to does the owner, you know, once they're acquired, is that their goal to cash out? And maybe they don't want to be active that much longer in, in, in the local business, but mm-hmm. maybe start start something else. So that's that's another. Uh, question two is is what the owner really wants to do and if the owner really is interested in the craft then again one of the options we looked at was being acquired by another small brewery so so you could maintain that craft nature yeah so that's what i was uh going where i was going next there was so does it matter whether you're acquired by a national company or another local company? How does that play out? So um, we had a follow-up study that kind of looks at the merger and acquisition partners, big versus small, um, whether that could backfire a little bit less or more. Um, at least based on our results, we have found that if you are a small craft beer company, and if you're merging with the national um, or merging or being acquired by the national beer companies, then most likely the dissonance will be greater because, you know, their identities are so different and they're also part of the different categories. So people have a hard time sort of adjusting to that and then definitely leading to the more negative um, consumer brand responses. You know, some of them might switch it off to different brands or they might entirely just drop you know, um, rooting for this particular brand. So potentially there is some loss in terms of consumers um, or even consumer loyalty. Um, but if it were to happen with a similar, you know, um, craft brewery, so like small breweries are sort of merging with each other, like that was seen as more um, favorable because they still, you know, even after merger and acquisition, they're still under the same category. Or, you know, something like maybe Sam Adams, um, by all means, they're a big company, but, you know, it, but they do very a good job that they stay in the craft side, right? Like the small like craft brewery side, not the macro beer side. So um, if you are merging with a company like that, that have that strong category identity, uh, it seems to us that that kind of minimizes the negative responses from the consumer side. Okay. And it seems like all of this assumes uh, that consumers actually know that a brand is being acquired or, or merging, right? So I think even some of your 
participants mentioned uh, the fact, well, uh, there are brands that get acquired and other consumers don't even know that that happens, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So say, for example, I mean, all these local um, brewery brands, like they, they, don't, they don't have a power to nationally distribute their beer, beer. So one of the benefits of you know, being acquired by these national beer companies is that the channel of, of distribution. So, you know, say, for example, you met across um, Carbach beer in Michigan, say, for example, then, uh, you know, the consumers probably have never heard of Carbach Brewing Company before, right? Mm -hmm. And because it's unfamiliar, and it kind of looks like all the packaging and design kind of looks like craft beer. Well, right. there you go. Then you found a new craft beer, right? So because they've never heard about it, they probably will be not reading newspapers out of Houston, right? Most likely. Um, so they won't know. So all these newly acquired consumers who are in fan of craft beer, there is a very good chance that they will be going after those. So um, merger and acquisition definitely helps in terms of, you know, gaining new consumers who are not acknowledging the entire ownership behind the breweries. Okay. What else did you find in your study that you really want to highlight for operators? So in all categories, except the ones that don't realize it and don't care, um, all the rest who are, you know, loyal to the category or loyal to the brand even, um, as you, as I mentioned before, you know, in our excerpt of our participants, you probably have realized that there are a lot of like conditions, you know, like as long as, you know, as long as they maintain whatever they're looking for. So um, as a company that who are selling the business to the bigger companies, they might have to do a lot of reassurance mm -hmm. of their consumers. And, and they will have to be very vocal about their reassuring gestures, not just like, oh, we, we do this too, but then you never talk about it, then consumers never know. So then you're basically leaving your consumers lift and hanging like with all this crazy speculations, right? Um, that, oh yeah, because it's now acquired by the big company, now they're going to be changing the taste around, that the recipe is going to be all changed. Um, and now they're going to do this mass production of this recipe, so it's never going to be the same. So then you as a person, and as Dr. Bowen said, and, you know, it has, comes down to what the owner wants. And based on my observation, very, based on my very limited observation, those people that who sells the business, even though they sold the business, they have a lot of uh, emotional attachment to their brand because it's something that they started from the scratch, right? Mm -hmm. So for those of them, they don't want to lose their consumers that they have or the clientele they have built upon. So if they want to maintain those customers that they, they just have to do a lot of reassuring that it's going to be the same, um, you know, we're going to still sponsor the people. We're going to still donate money to local, you know, hospitals, local um, charities. So, you know, there has to be a lot of marketing communication um, that has to be made after merger and acquisition. Um, and same thing happened with uh, Whataburger too, right? So after I actually have another paper looking at that, you know, like Whataburger selling their business to um, Chicago-based companies, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you two remember what the backlash was like <laughs> after that oh, yeah. um, selling off that brand, right? So um, people get really upset, especially when it is something that they're purchasing it proudly, you know, because mm -hmm. it is local, because it has a long heritage with the community they really support for. Um, and then especially when it is sold out to a company either that had nothing to do with the food service business or, you know, um, it's not even from Texas or like, you know, in their local region or state, people really get upset. So I remember um, Whataburger was uh, doing a lot of media release about, we're going to keep everything same. The menu will be the same, you know, so they, they were doing a lot of reassurance to um, help their customers to deal with this dissonance um, that they were experiencing. So this is not only limited to, I mean, we used the context of craft beer because that was probably the most actively um, taking place in terms of merger and acquisition. 
But this just happens all the time. And even when you look at big corporations merger, like, you know, Marriott and Starwood companies, people were very upset when Starbucks, I mean, sorry, not Starbucks, so uh, Starwood company, um, you know, made this corporate decision. They were extremely upset. And, um, and there was another story that they have to, you know, restructure their loyalty program. And then, you know, the delusion of the loyalty points is one company is greater than the other. So definitely, you know, the customers were very upset in terms of handling that too. So our study could be applicable for any fields um, that are going through merger and acquisition, especially with the ones that have completely different brand identity versus of their own. I think the other thing that's important too, particularly in, uh, you know, when you get into hospitality related businesses like a craft brewery, it is, we haven't talked about the employees, mm. but I know what Tiffany said too, is, is making sure the employees are treated the same. So there's, um, the employees feel good about the merger and, and, and you get um, the same people there. So when the customers come back, the employees haven't changed or the employees aren't grumping about the change and they've lost some benefits or that this is happening and that is happening. Um, so, so I think that's another aspect of the consistency after the merger as well. So it seems like consumers and probably in this case also employees are willing to give an acquiring company a chance. Like it seems like almost exclusively they're, they're willing to see if the new company uh, is going to hold to the same quality, brand identity, et cetera. They're, they're skeptical, but they will be willing to give you the chance. And so if, uh, if I'm a small company that wants to be acquired, um, if I care about the brand, I would want to be very diligent uh, about negotiating how that acquiring company is going to treat you know, my brand and communicate with my consumers then. Yeah, yes. I think the, the one exception would be the uh, category loyal, where okay. they tend to be very much anti-macro um, brewery. You know, they're really for the craft production, the local. And so you might, that might be a group which you lose and, and you'd have to realize it's a, you're going to have some migration of customers when when this does occur. Yeah, so I totally agree with what Dr. Boyan just said. Um, the people that who are loyal to craft category, these are the people that who deliberately purchase um, this category of the brands because they don't like the mass production anti-corporation, you know, they have all these like negative sentiments going towards the big company, you know, so um, sort of, they're the probably the ones that was going to be very ruthless in terms of giving up the brand. It's like, goodbye, you're not part of this family anymore. So I'm moving on, you know, so, Cut so you off. yeah, exactly. So these are the most like switching um, type of people. Um, and one thing about this type of people is that we need to be careful with those people too. There's a very good chance that they might be saying something like, oh, you know, now it's acquired by the big company. So they're going to be definitely changing the recipe. So when you don't make announcements about what's going to happen precisely and you leave your customers left and hanging, um, then they're going to be seeing those because like a lot of the media information is now being generated by fellow consumers, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's being digested as well regardless of the truth. So right. if the company doesn't make clear announcements about their directions going forward after merger and acquisition, then consumers are looking at those consumer generated contents and thinking that, okay, well now the big company is gonna be really influencing the recipe, therefore, like I'm not gonna be loyal to your brand anymore. You know, like, so the brand has to be very specific about what they will be doing going forward um, and, instead of leaving it up to them and speculating what's going to happen in the future, it's better to be upfront and uh, proactive about it. Communicate and over-communicate. Mm -hmm. and, and not only communicate, but then follow up with the actions. 
So you don't want to do hollow communication if you need to do it. Right. Do what you say you're going to do. Exactly. All right. So where where would you like to build upon this research? It sounds like you've already done another uh, study kind of building upon this, but where else what else do we need to know about uh, this this area and this line of research uh, in the future? I think what, one interesting aspect would be more from a financial standpoint. In, in other words, getting back to that local, which we talked about earlier, for, with Carbot, you know, you, you could expand it through Texas and still put Texas made on the label and have it that's a sort of local beer um, attachment to it. Um, but if you start selling it in Boston, um, you start to extend the brand too far and people don't know what it is or then they find out what it is and it's an Anheuser-Busch uh, product. So I think looking at how far can you extend the brand because there have been some buyouts of craft beer by macro that went up and then all of a sudden their sales started to flatten and even decline. Um, so it's, at some point does it become just another brand uh, on the shelf mm -hmm. uh, versus uh, a known brand? Because one of the big, you know, as we talked about is distribution and noticing Carbock here in Texas, one of the things they've done is they've got in at all the major venues and all, all, all the stadiums and even sports bars, which might you know, be a Budweiser sports bar, but all of a sudden where they didn't have, quote, craft beers, and all of a sudden you can get Hopadillo there because it's different. It's enough different than the others. It's their IPA. Um, so it expands the ability to... Uh, distribute product. And I mean, we briefly mentioned about um, mentioned about them too, but I think looking at from like employees' perspectives, like how they handle, you know, their job being acquired by, so because like now all of a sudden that you have to deal with a new new employer, right? So um, how, how that sort of um, change their dynamics, I think that would be an interesting perspective to take going forward. Wonderful. All right. So I want to know, I asked this of all my uh, guests here, if you were running a restaurant or in this case, either a, you know, a craft a beer company or an artisanal food company, uh, if you owned it or were running it, how would you use this research uh, to move your business forward and to, to strategically place uh, your business to be able to be acquired if you wanted to. Well, well, I think one thing, again, it goes back to what's your motivation for being acquired. Um, you know, as, as Tiffany said earlier, a lot of people who are in, in this business, um, that they started it, um, they put a lot of effort into it. They put a lot of work. They build it up. And so if you have that emotional attachment to the business and, and you want to see it continue, then you're probably going to, again, do all the negotiating that we talked about with employees, the benefit plans of employees, the, the recipes, the quality of the product, uh, you know, the continuation of the community sport that, that you've been doing so that there's very little disruption in what the consumer sees of the brand. And there could be some few that they're excited about cashing out and, and becoming a mega millionaire and that they just go with the best offer um, and, and move on. And even like, you know, when you were selling the business, say that you, you really want to sell your business because, you know, you either want to cash out or, you know, you kind of had enough about the industry. <laughs> um, you know, if, if that's the case, um, hopefully our study kind of shed light into 
how to leverage your brand loyal customers because you know even after merger and acquisition these are the people that who are going to be sticking with your brand so um you know if you, it's your first time selling your business there is a possibility that you might not factor your brand loyal customers into this but now that you have the study outcome that says, hey, these are the people that was going to give you a second chance even after merger and acquisition. And most likely, if we don't change anything, that these will be sticking with the brand um, and still becoming an advocate of the brand. So there certainly is a uncalculated value um, that people probably haven't really considered. So um, perhaps when you're negotiating about the price, uh, maybe you can show the study results and say, hey, this is the study outcome that we have built our very strong fan base customers that are resilient to merger and acquisition. Therefore, you should charge us, but you should give us higher price. <laughs> I don't know. That might be a good strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think that relates to, we've been talking about the, uh, the entrepreneur who's selling, but I think the other thing there, there are, our, our implications about for, for the inquirer, inquirer, which we haven't talked about. So I think and that goes exactly what Tiffany was saying. They're, they're, they're interested in purchasing this brewery because it does have value. So um, if they want to maintain that value, even though the seller might want to just cash out, if they want to maintain that value, then they also have to make sure there's very little disruption in the brand and the product. Uh, they treat the employees well and so on. So that the, the, the acquirer can learn from the study as well. Wonderful. So to recap, what you found were, was that consumers can kind of be grouped into these four categories um, based on whether they are brand loyal in a high way or a low way. Uh, and then whether they're loyal to the category of craft, local, artisanal, either in a significant or high way or low way. Um, so that's that's number one. Number two, that if regardless as if you are building a brand to have it acquired or if you in the long term want to acquire another brand, the focus and uh, really the study ought to be on the consumers that are high brand loyal, particularly just brand loyal because those are the ones that are really there for the brand. And so if you can maintain that brand through the acquisition, uh, you have the greatest likelihood of, of maintaining kind of this, this core group of consumers. I guess three uh, would be that being acquired by another local or craft or artisanal company usually means you have a greater chance of uh, maintaining some of your, your core consumers. Again, assuming that you maintain the levels of quality, uh, you know, et, et cetera. And I guess four, I would throw in there uh, a lot. You need to focus on con communicating to your consumer group um, as you're considering and going through the merger process. And then obviously you need to, to follow through uh, with actually maintaining those, um, those quality standards and who the brand is. Uh, long term. Yes, that, nicely summarized. <laughs> okay, awesome. Wonderful. Thank you all so much for taking the time to be on the, the show with me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having, having us. And thank you to subscribing to today's show. If you have questions or comments, please email me at nathan at restaurantrelevance.com. You also can leave a comment on your preferred uh, podcast platform. Ciao.